when you want to deliver a public presentation, start with the audience and not with your topic. Usually, when we start watching or listening to our recordings, it is a very negative reaction. Always argue as if you were right, but always listen as if you were wrong. Our brains have a limited capacity for acquiring knowledge, so don't overflow people with information, don't overflow people with difficulty. Create opportunities for your employees to hold informal meetings. When people talk over their coffee or they meet informally, it's not wasting corporate money. That's a perfect investment of corporate money. Welcome to Pragmatic Talks, a podcast and video series where we discuss startups, contemporary digital product development, modern technologies and product management. This episode is brought to you by Pragmatic Coders in collaboration with Agile by Example, one of the largest agile conferences in Europe. We believe that everyone should have equal access to knowledge about product development and entrepreneurship, and also everyone should have the opportunity to apply it in pursuit of making our world a better place. Through this series, we aim to create an impact on the future world. In today's episode, we are joined by Patricia Obana, a communication coach and trainer specializing in public speaking. Her expertise extends to both cross-cultural and cross-gender communication. Patricia is also a talented singer, songwriter, music producer and academic teacher. Today's discussion covers several key areas of communication, especially communication for leaders who want to be listened to and heard. That is not always the same thing. We also dived into effective communication strategies and knowledge sharing in the workplace. Then we had covered the topic of communication challenges in remote work setup. In the end, we offered practical tips how to communicate to sell better. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Patricia Obara. Hello, thank you for the invitation. Hello, everyone. It's great to have you here. And uh, we always start with the very first question. Who is Patricia Obara and what is your story? Okay, long story short. Uh, long story short, I stand on three legs, I would say. And one leg is corporate training, communication, public speaking. The second leg is the voice. I work with the voice. I'm a certified vocal coach and I run a singing school. And the third leg is art and it's between the realms of music and theater. Let's start about the connection between the third leg that we said, the uh -huh. art and songwriting, singing. How does it relate to communication and then teaching people how to communicate better? Are there any you know, lessons learned from you know, concerts or, or uh, singing to people or being on stage and the communication itself? I think it actually works both ways. I draw a lot from my professional experience and put it in music. And I draw a lot from music and put it in my business activity. One thing for sure is when I'm on stage, I don't think it's a big difference if I'm there to sing to perform a, a theater play or to deliver a public speech. It's the same kind of emotion. It's the same kind of stage fright, the same kind of fear and the same way to manage it. I think being on stage artistically gives me an opportunity to connect with the audience in a unique way, deep from the heart and not from the intellect. And this is what I like to draw from then in my business operations and business presentations, because I think in the end, I don't, I don't want to sound like too emotional because I'm a very practical person. But I think in the end, it all comes down to the heart, to emotions. Every engagement, I believe, is emotional engagement. And, and this is the lesson that I learned on stage. But also working in business allowed me to make some good choices uh, when I'm creating music to 
make a plan of promotion, for example, to look from the perspective of the client, of the audience, and figure out what they may want, what may be good for them, and how I can meet them in the middle so I don't sell myself, but still do something that can be good for people. So I think these, these two areas are intertwined. Perfect. So let's let's dive deeper into the topic of being on stage or speaking to, to, to people like because like this podcast video series is mainly recorded for people who are uh, working with other people as well, but maybe working on the products like product managers or, or CEOs, startups, founders, etc. They need to pitch their startups to the investors, sometimes pitch on stage to the crowd. Let's dive deeper into this, this area. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more how to do it well. Both on stage, but also the people that you know, how to be convincing, how to be good in promoting yourself, your product, your, your services. I hope that, you know, throughout this conversation, pragmatic business leaders are not going to jump to the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> because I will be saying a lot of things, uh, human-centered things mm-hmm. instead of business-centered mm-hmm. things. And, and my practical tip here would be to start with the person that you're talking to and not yourself. When you want to deliver a public presentation, start with the audience and not with your topic. Very often when I do public speaking training and I talk to the participants of this training, they are delivering a presentation, then I want to give them feedback. And the first question I ask is, what was the purpose of your presentation? And most often the answer that I hear is, because I think this topic is important and I wanted to share it. Yeah, what for? Because I want people to know about this. Why? Because then they will understand. Okay, what's the point of understanding? Because knowing something, understanding something is not an advantage in itself. It only becomes an advantage when you can translate it into your life, into your practical operations. So how can they translate it? And then after five more questions, we reach the purpose, which is, for example, they can be more effective at work and they can finish early, get more money, whatever. This is the practical advantage. But to figure it out, you have to start with who's listening to you, not with the topic that you want to share. So think about the people, think about what problems they have, what hopes they have, what dreams they have. And then if what you serve them is an answer to these problems, to these dreams, you've got it. If you don't think about it beforehand, It's random, it's a game of chance. And for some people it will work, for most people it won't. I believe thinking about your audience first is a game changer. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that's pretty similar to what I have the chance to spoke with, with some successful startup founders yeah. and all of them said that you need to speak in a way that will address the investor's needs. The investor's dream is to actually invest into the company that will become unicorn or, or even more. Like they, yeah. that they will have the return, from, uh, the return on investment, like not even 10 times, but 40 or 100 times. Yes. So uh, having this intention in mind that you want to show them that you are this kind of startup mm-hmm. is very important. As you said, like think about the audience, start with them, their needs, yeah. their dreams. And what about the emotion? You already started mm-hmm. talking about, about emotion. So mm-hmm. how to play on the emotion? Don't. How to use, <laughs> so how to use the emotion of the audience uh, to, to be more convincing? Well, I want to be careful with answering this mm-hmm. question because I don't want to suggest anything that would sound like advising people to manipulate uh, the audience. I always recommend 
honesty, building an honest connection with the audience. Don't be an actor when you stand uh, on the stage. Uh, be who you are with your real intention and a real intention to connect. For example, what I often see is a speaker on stage who asks a question, but there is no intention to actually hear the answer. They have a like predetermined agenda. They ask, okay, who in this room likes pierogi? I know that everybody likes pierogi, but maybe some people don't like pierogi. And if your presentation is built on the preconceived answer that everybody will raise their hands, then pr first of all, you're lost. You don't know where to go with your presentation. If somebody says, no, I hate pierogi. But secondly, uh, the connection is broken because this is the moment when people understand, okay, this person is not listening. So if you switch off from the audience, the audience will switch off from you. So I would say always be honest, always find the intention that maybe the curiosity, what's going on in this audience. And then you will know which emotion is the right emotion. If it's okay to make them laugh, if your job is to deliver bad news, you, you want to tell people that uh, a project is being shut down, you don't want to make jokes, but maybe you do because maybe you're also on the same team and you're with them and you've been expecting this for quite a while and by making jokes you show them that you're on the same ship. Mm -hmm. So if you understand what's going on in the audience, you can reach for these emotions rather naturally. And you know, I think when we just talk to people, normally, like you're with a group of friends and you want to pitch an idea to them, you will naturally do it. So I would ask myself the question, why does it change when I'm on stage? Why do I stop taking people seriously when I'm on stage? Why do I start pretending when I'm on stage? Do you know what I mean? Start with your own intention. If you really believe in what you are talking about, people will respond with believing in what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. If you are disengaged, you're just there and you're reading from the slide and you don't care what you're saying because you're thinking, I have this next meeting in half an hour, your audience will start very quickly start scrolling their phones. Second of all, be present. Observe what's going on around you and respond. So if you feel like people are losing their attention, maybe it means you've given them too much, too much to digest, too much meat. Maybe now they need a vegetable, something lighter, a question, some food for thought, maybe a story, maybe a joke, maybe an anecdote. And I would also recommend not, like I said before, not trying to be someone else on stage, because if you focus all your attention on what should I do with my hands? How should I modulate my voice? Oh, now I should speak slower or now I should speak faster. Then you're disengaging from the emotional flow between you and the audience because you're only focusing on yourself. So if you want to practice things like voice modulation, gestures, um, I don't know, thinking about eye contact, I suggest you do it when you're rehearsing and not when you're already on stage. So how to prepare for that? Like you already mm -hmm. started talking about if you want to prepare, etc. Mm -hmm. et so how a person can uh, teach themselves to mm -hmm. be a good public speaker? Preparation is an essential part uh, of public speaking, maybe even more important than being on stage in the end, uh, which is just a side result, um, side effect of preparing. Very often, preparation process looks like this. We have an idea of a topic. We sit down at our computers, uh, write down some key points. Sometimes we write down every sentence. We prepare slides. 
And then we keep reading, 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 repeating in our head. And I would say this is the introductory phase mm -hmm. of preparing. The essential phase of preparing is to say it. Mm -hmm. Because only when you start saying it, you begin to understand, okay, here it's a little bit unclear. And here, maybe this joke was not, not too funny, not as funny as I expected. And here I said two thoughts, but they don't connect. I need to find a way to connect them. Most of all, you can look at the clock and see, is my timing right? Mm -hmm. I had 15 minutes for my presentation and it's 10 minutes and I'm only at the introduction. These are the things you can only realize when you're rehearsing. Many people say you should rehearse in front of the mirror. I would say don't <laughs> because when you are on stage, you can't see yourself. Yes. And practicing in front of a mirror may be a distractor and it may make you more stressed instead of more prepared because you look at yourself and you think, ah, something's wrong with my gestures, something's wrong with my, I don't know, left profile or something like that. So I'd recommend you try to create for your rehearsals conditions which are as similar as possible to the conditions you will have on stage. If you're going to present sitting down in front of the, your computer, I don't know, get two people to connect with you on some online platform and present to them as a dry run. If you're going to present standing up, rehearse standing up, not lying in your bed in your bathrobe, because it's a different kind of conditions, yeah? I had a funny situation yesterday in one training because one of the participants was um, practicing um, an elevator pitch. And he took all the people that were in the room, there were 10 of us, and he told us to stand between two tables. So we were squeezed in there as if we were in an elevator. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, so now you're a group of managers and I'm pitching to you in the next 20 seconds. And it was amazing because suddenly he felt it. Oh my God, I'm trapped with these people in this small space. It's very uncomfortable. It's very inconvenient. We're like almost intimately looking at each other and I have 20 seconds to tell who I am and why they should invest in me. If he was standing on, on the stage far away from the audience, he wouldn't have had this experience. It was his idea, credits to him, a uh, right. great one. Yes. Awesome. Also, I hope he will succeed with investment. <laughs> I'm quite sure he will. What about recording yourself uh, when, you're, when you're training? It's another thing that I would be careful with because a recording can be a great source of information if you can work with it. Because I think it takes a little bit of training. The first thing that happens to us usually when we start watching or listening to our recordings is a very negative reaction. You know, this, this inner critic is sitting on our shoulder, this little devil, and telling us, this was bad, this was wrong. Uh, here you spoke too fast and here you looked ugly and here you, oh dear, you shouldn't behave like that. It's so horrible. And is, this is not constructive. This is just uh, traumatizing. I had people in trainings, and it ha happened the day before yesterday, actually, that a woman said, I'm traumatized by public speaking because, you know, two years ago I was in this training and I watched my own recording, and since then I hate public speaking. Wow, this shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Somebody should have told her how to work with the recordings, and if she wasn't ready to do that, she shouldn't have done it. So if you're ready to do it, which means you can distance yourself and be ob objective and treat the person in the recording like it was your best friend and not yourself, then great source of information. With your best friend, you would probably tell them what they could correct, 
but you would also probably tell them what they did right. You would balance it. Yeah. Do the same thing with yourself and then you can work with the recording. Sounds like a great advice. What, one more thing about, you know, speaking to the computer when you are on the remote remote, like a, that might be my advice to people, something mm -hmm. that I learned, I think somewhere at the beginning of the pandemic is that most of the tools or uh, video conferencing tools, they do have an, an option to turn off your own uh, picture so you don't see yourself. It's the same as it's a great the mirror. advice. Yeah, so yes. You are not focused on yourself, but rather focused on other people uh, because otherwise when you see yourself speaking, then you are more focused or always distracted by yourself. Like you are not looking as great as you would like to, et cetera, oh, et cetera. Yeah, thank you. Let's talk a little bit more about the communication, only mm -hmm. speaking, because speaking is usually one direction. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there is like emotion, like feedback from the audience, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the communication is rather a, a two direction, two, one di two dimension, one dimensional, but two direction. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, a flow of information. So how to, like, Again, very broad question, broad topic. How to improve the communication between people, like between like a pair, between a team of group of people, team mm -hmm. team of people, etc. When, when we have like when we have to work together or do something together. I love your questions, you know, because almost every single one of them is material for a separate conversation. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I think long story short is going to be a motif of of our conversation today. That's a very nice question. I really like it, and. There was a piece of advice that I recently read in a, in a book that I really like. The book is called The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. And I'll be referring to this book uh, in my speech today, actually. Mm, and there was a piece of advice. Always argue as if you were right, but always listen as if you were wrong. Mm -hmm. Which is to be confident, be adamant about your point of view but always be open to other people's perspectives. So if I were to narrow down all communication to this one uh, piece of advice, maybe it would be this one. This is very connected to the advice that we get, I think yesterday when we mm. recorded uh, here the, the conversation with Pete Burns, who said that in terms of the leadership, the leader should always be listening in a way that I may not know, I, I may be wrong mm. and have this mindset of, listening to people because I might I might be wrong well I mean and and that's that's very connected to, to what we uh, what we had a conversation yesterday so when you watch this episode most of the other one with Pete was already published so you can uh, you can reach to it as well I'm looking forward to watching it as well you've really got my attention here. Uh, that was a great conversation as well uh, as this one okay so 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 communication um what about remote work and remote communication? Like it's much harder. Like yeah. I, I, I remember I like a 10 or 15 years ago when I was started, uh, you know, working in agile industry, working with people, training uh, others, teaching others. Mm. I've learned about something that was called um, communication osmosis. That the communication is not only the di dialogue, but it's only, you know, like all the information that are flowing in your work environment or in the, any environment at home or whatever. But yeah. For example, when we sit together in the room, there is much more communication that happens, much more information are flowing than we than we could imagine even. Yeah? Like mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we are not participating in some conversation, but we hear it, even not listen, but just hear the conversation that someone was speaking mm -hmm. to someone else about some problem, some issue. Mm -hmm. And then let's say two months later, I'm facing the same issue, a similar issue, and I already know that those people 
they already solved it or I already get through it so I can reach to them so I save a lot of time instead of figuring things on my own and that's impossible in my in my opinion in the remote world but maybe you have some tips to, to improve the communication especially in the remote, remote environment. I don't know how much I should reveal about my talk today but well, when this conversation is published, the talk has already been done, so I yeah. can reveal it. No, and there is a chance it also will be published because it's yeah, yeah, also yeah. recorded, so yeah. people could reach to it. So in this talk, I'm talking about our brain not being a machine or a muscle, but being something more of a magpie. Magpie is this bird, black and white bird, that steals everything that it finds and uses these materials, which are random, mm -hmm found everywhere in their environment uh, to build their nest or their little surroundings. And our brain works in a similar way. And the three sources from it, which it likes to collect its materials are the body, mm -hmm. our own body, uh, the space in which we reside and uh, other people. And in online communication, I would try to involve as many of these elements as possible. Mm. So I would try to incorporate movement when possible. Mm. Uh, I would try to incorporate nature. So take your laptop outside if possible, because it increases your, fo your focus, your uh, ability to think creatively, to solve problems, to make decisions, and then incorporate other people. So as often as possible, try to make your online meetings interactive. So don't just switch off all the cameras and let one person speak and don't prepare a presentation like it was an in-person presentation where you speak for half an hour and everybody's listening. Whenever you're preparing a presentation, think of it as dialogue and let all the people leave their microphones switched on so that there is no barrier to join the conversation. Use the crowd as much as possible. As turning Microsoft microphones uh, on, it's a very important tip, even because, you know, like there is so many uh, situations that, oh, you are mute. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have all of microphones turned on, then it's much easier. Right. But there's also the psychological barrier on the side of the participant. Mm -hmm. They want to say something because it's a split second thought. Mm -hmm. But they have to, you know, find their laptop, yeah. find the uh, trackpad, uh, find the arrow, find the microphone, unmute, and then somebody else is talking or the speaker is on a different topic completely. And then they think, ah, okay, yeah. I didn't like too it. Late. Too late. Yeah. Right. Uh, what do you think about the, you said about uh, movement. What do you think about uh, taking a walk together remotely? Fantastic. Fantastic idea. Yes. Yes. Take your phones. Mm -hmm. Just be careful so that, you know, you don't cross the street looking at the screen. But go to a park, take your phone and, and walk and talk at the same time. It's almost as if you were walking together. That might be a real idea. And it's nature and movement and one, right? Yeah. So you, you have two of the three elements and three actually, because there is the other person that you're talking to. Yeah. And that sounds like a, that's like a nice, nice idea. Um, I will try it. <laughs> so, like, right, let me know how it would. <laughs> I hope the weather will be good enough uh, on the autumn. Yesterday we also spoke with Lisette Settelant about the uh, about remote work and we um, talked a little bit about the knowledge sharing mm -hmm. in the organization, uh, a remote organization, but um, let's try to talk about it because I know that this is a subject of your, of your presentation uh, today mm -hmm. here as well. Let's talk a little bit more about the effective 
knowledge sharing, both in the remote and physical environment of, of work. This brings us back to the three elements that uh, I talked about a minute ago. So incorporating the body, incorporating space and incorporating other people. Let's maybe focus on this third element um, because I think it's crucial here. First of all, if you want to share your knowledge effectively, you being the mentor, the teacher in this specific situation, remember that you know much more than you think you know. Remember that there is something like the curse of knowledge and you're aware of maybe 30% of your expertise. The rest is, uh, is, un is subconsciously carried out on a day-to-day basis. So if you're trying to transfer this knowledge to other people, you're skipping the 70% of important bits because you, you don't even realize they exist. So always take a moment to stop and think, does the person I'm trying to teach something to have the background to understand what I'm talking about. And there is an easy way to check it. Ask them what they know and start with what they know. Don't start with what you want to share. Always start with what the other person knows and then stack up uh, new knowledge on top of what they already have. Mm -hmm. Could everyone become a great teacher? Is it something that people can, can train, can learn? Or uh, is it something that requires, you know, like a special skills uh, that are, you know, that people are born with? Uh, and uh, the answer to the first question is yes. The answer to the second question is yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so yes, it is something that everybody can learn how to do. And yes, it requires a special set of skills. But these are not skills that you're born with. These are skills that you can teach yourself. You can learn from other people. And I think it's a very important topic. Thank you for bringing it up because uh, I don't know about other countries, but in Poland, teaching is considered to be self-explanatory, right? You, you're an expert in something. It means you're a teacher. When I was doing my PhD studies, uh, we had to teach students. And for me, it was fine because I had been teaching students before I started the, the studies. But most of my fellow students were terrified because, you know what, we had 15 hours in the four-year program. We have 15 hours of didactics. And within these 15 hours, we had three hours on motivation, three hours on how to write the syllabus and some other bureaucracy, right? So this is not important when you're a teacher. Teaching is a skill that has to be learned. You can't just go with, okay, I'm an expert and I'm going to stand in front of people and talk about my expertise. Because first of all, you have to understand how the brain works, how the brain consumes knowledge. Mm -hmm. And you have to operate on that. And there are many wonderful resources on how to be a better teacher. And I would also recommend uh, trainings, train the trainer mm -hmm. uh, workshops, where you can learn some practical tools maybe some, I don't know, tricks, but also a lot of psychological knowledge mm -hmm. that will guide you through the teaching process. Mm -hmm. So what is like a one silver bullet, one silver mm -hmm. advice that you would give, like uh, maybe something with this psychological knowledge about people's mm -hmm. brain. Uh, so what people who want to teach others, what they should know about other people's brain or their brains? Our brains have a limited capacity for acquiring knowledge at one point of time. So don't overflow people with information. Don't overflow people with difficulty. Less is more, less is better. It's better to teach one thing, fundamental thing, but teach it very well 
because this increases curiosity and your students will want to learn more because they feel confident, they feel, okay, I got it, I want to learn the next thing, than to give them five things and leave them confused and lost and frustrated. So focus on one thing, like shorter agenda, yes. more time, yes. more breaks as well, well oh, yeah, uh, something that... Yeah, and, and then you get a cognitive loop, like they, they learn something, they bring something back, you can learn on top of that, then they bring something back again. And I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds agile, doesn't it? That, that, <laughs> is, that is, definitely is. This is, this is why uh, I think that, for example, you already mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, teaching students in the university or, or somewhere mm -hmm. else. This is why I think universities, especially in Poland, are not doing the great job because mm -hmm. Usually, when you go to the university, regardless of the faculty, whatever whatever you mm -hmm. want to study, uh, it's like the first year you are, you are, you are learning some basics. Mm -hmm. Second year, you are also learning basics. But from another teacher. From another, another teacher, <laughs> another another area. And then maybe in the, on the third year, in the last semester, you will use this knowledge that you learn. Mm -hmm. After two and, or two and a half years, yeah. you start using this knowledge. Yeah? And that mm -hmm. actually doesn't make sense, especially that, you know, like, a, I don't know, Let's take math, the yeah, mm. subject of math. Uh, you have like a one class uh, every week uh, for two hours for the five months, mm -hmm. and that gives you like I know, hundred hours or something. Yeah, and you are not using this knowledge for the next two and a half year mm. or, or two years. Yeah, most likely first. forgetting it, but also you are not actually learning it because learning is a process of using the knowledge that we have. Yeah, otherwise you you haven't learned anything. You only possess some knowledge, but mm -hmm. if you haven't used it, it's not learning. That's so important. And for example, my experience with one course of studies that I've done is that we had a lot of psychology classes with different teachers, but one was like positive psychology, the other one was another type of psychology, and then another type of psychology. And almost every teacher started with the same things. Almost every teacher talked about the big five and other personality classifications. I was sitting there and thinking, why? Why? It took, it would take one board meeting, two hours to decide, okay, so who does the big five? You do the big five. Okay, so I'll, when is your class? In January. Okay, mine, mine is in February. So I add something to it because they already know the big five. Let's not waste the student's time. Let's use it effectively, right? So my big dream is that one day at all universities, there will be board meetings not to talk about, I don't know, formal bureaucracy, but to actually talk about how we are going to teach these people effectively this semester. I will start studying with that day <laughs> again. All of us will. All of us will, because it will be much more fun and much more effective. Yeah. Okay, um, in terms of knowledge sharing, like, there is like a knowledge that people are exchanging, there are teachers who want to teach others, uh, but there is, you know, like uh, organizations need to pass the knowledge across the organization, across to next generations of employees mm -hmm. still have to, to, to just assure the uh, survival of the organization mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, like growing of the organization as well. Do you have any advices on how to structure the, the knowledge, how to pass the knowledge mm -hmm. to, to new employees, for example, mm -hmm. in the organization or across the organization? I think it will be a summary of many things that we have already said, mm -hmm. my advice and your advice. First of all, make sure you don't serve the knowledge in portions which are impossible to consume. This is what often happens in organizations, that the onboarding uh, training lasts, for example, the whole week, and it's five days 
eight hours a day of learning theory of how different departments and projects operate. And I have no idea about it whatsoever. And with every following day, I understand less because I get all the abbreviations, all the procedures, all the processes, and I don't understand. How about making one onboarding training once a week and making it last two hours and not eight and maybe prolong the onboarding um, process to three months instead of one week, making sure what you said before, that the trainee has an opportunity to apply the knowledge so that they understand why they needed it and questions begin to arise. It's a kind of Montessori model. When questions arise, you want more knowledge. So then they come to you after one week and they say, okay, I'm ready for more. I want to understand how the customs department works. I would focus on that. Another thing is to start with why, not with what. Listen to Simon Sinek uh, and his advice. And this is also a thing we talked about today uh, already. Start with your audience, figure out what they need and mm -hmm. give them an answer to that need. For example, if you're teaching new knowledge in an organization, find practical applications of this knowledge. Show the uh, trainee how it's going to make their work easier, for example, because then they have a motivation to learn. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a great advice. I, I'm pretty sure that I will recommend or even make it mandatory to our HR department to watch this episode only for, for those advices <laughs> to actually, you know, improve our onboarding process and all of the uh, communication process that we have. Up, up I'm happy to hear that. That's, that's really great. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, um, psychological aspects of learning or uh, maybe the en environmental aspects as well, like what people need to have an environment to, to be able to, be le to learn new things. Because, you know, I know like a very oppressive environment, for example, or, or a situation that people are stressed are limiting their cap capabilities of learning. So how to increase people's cap capability of learning? This well-being aspect that you mentioned, of course, it's very important. Um, and, and I would say it's, it's a foundation of learning. If I were to think of something else, I would say walls. Mm -hmm. People need walls. People learn better when they have walls than when they are working in an uh, open space because they are less distracted by conversations, by faces, by movement. They can focus, but also they get privacy and privacy allows us to experiment yeah. without uh, feeling any social pressure because whenever we are around people, even if we like them, feel comfortable with them, we want to belong. We want to be a part of this group. So we will not make such risky choices, experiments as we will if we are uh, alone. And when you have these walls, let your employees arrange them. I mean, decorate them uh, in any way they like. Make them feel at home. Let them have uh, little, I don't know, pictures or tokens that remind them who they are, what they are good at and what they like, because this will focus their attention uh, on these things and grow their curiosity to learn more. Also, I think a very, very important thing is to create opportunities for your employees to hold informal meetings. Mm -hmm. This is where the magic happens. And when you talk about, I don't know, an interaction you've had with a client, during an informal meeting, and it's, you know, it's juicy, right? With all the juicy details, with all the taboo words and everything else. Uh, it's a story that people will remember and learn from. And if they have a similar client in the future, 
they will remember, ah, you had this experience, uh, he did it this way, so maybe I will do something similar. Or maybe for him it didn't work, so maybe I will do it in a different way. But if you presented the same case study in the formal situation, you would get rid of the juicy details, you would get rid of the taboo words and everything like that. You would probably skip some important elements of this knowledge, real-life elements of this knowledge, which would make it less relatable. So informal meetings, definitely a wonderful uh, learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, you know, like in the past when people were still working from the offices, like that things happen usually over the coffee. Yes. Yeah. The coffee machine. Yeah. Yeah. The kitchen or somewhere. And now it's more harder. So yesterday when we, when we spoke with Zeta something a lot about, about remote work, uh, we also mentioned that, that this informal conversations are very, very important. And yeah. uh, like, this is a part where the, where also our culture is built, but yeah. not necessarily only there and shouldn't be built only there. But also the things that you are mentioning, like the informal communication is very important for knowledge sharing as well. Yes. Yeah. So, so at least once upon a time, the team should, or the, the entire company, the best, uh, should meet in the office or somewhere mm -hmm. and 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 um, work together <laughs> and have a lot of informal meetings. So whenever people are saying that, you know, they are not coming to the office because there is so many informal, irrelevant conversations, yeah. no. Those conversations are, are very, very relevant uh, for, for business. Yes, and I think it's also very important for leaders to remember and understand that when people talk over their coffee or they meet informally, it's not wasting time, it's not wasting corporate money. That's a perfect investment of corporate money because this is how the team uh, grows. And also, I'm thinking of a new trend that I'm noticing uh, these days uh, when I do workshops in organizations. For a while, when the pandemic started, many workshops were held online. Companies were happy about it because they didn't have to bring the trainer from another city. It was enough to send them a Zoom invitation. But now workshops have moved back to corporate buildings. And when people join me for the workshops, very often they say, when I ask them in the end, what was the biggest value of the workshop for them? They say that the biggest value was that they could meet after two months, for example, and exchange their experience. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I feel like I, I don't even have to be there. Of course, I do have to be there. I'm the facilitator of the Otherwise, process. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to the office. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe I, I ask the right questions. I don't know. But looking at the group, learning from w within itself, this is the magic. I really like this part of the process. That's something that I also I've took a part in a few online workshops in, in the past, and <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, it's so different from the regular yeah. workshop. And actually, I learn a fraction of things that I usually learned during yeah. you know the regular workshop. Yeah. And as you said, like in most cases, like when there is a good trainer, or workshop leader, or facilitator. Uh, they are able to facilitate the workshop in a way that people are actually learning from each other yes. uh, and not from them, from the expert. Yes. He is just or she is just there to, to, to support them. However, there is one exception to online trainings. I think when it comes to public speaking, uh, online trainings, uh, apart from in-person trainings, I think today are essential because they give you the real experience because mm. most presentations in business are done online mm. these days. So when you also learn them online, you get the actual experience of people not listening to you. 
so so there is another topic that I uh-huh. would like to discuss with you that that you already mentioned online, work. right? Like because you know, like we are, like, like we, I mean, we, like the entire industry right now, even since pandemic started, everyone is hiring people remotely mm-hmm. or assessing people remotely. Mm-hmm. Those people, in most cases, would be working remotely or mm-hmm. partially remotely, like hybrid. And just a few companies are decided to come come back to the office for the full time. So uh, the thing that I was always missing in the recruitment processes in various various organizations that I various people that I spoke to mm-hmm. from various companies was that actually nobody ever have been assessing the ability to work remotely. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this is like a skill that people need to develop mm-hmm. how to work effectively, but also how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. So maybe you have some ideas how to assess the person's communication skills, I mean, online communication skills, not you know, like a conversation like this. The first thing that comes to my mind, do an online interview. Yeah, but you know, that's, that's just an interview. And this communication is not only, you know, verbal, but usually there is like a mail, Slack, mm. or yeah. First of all, I would, I would think do an online group interview. Mm, okay. Uh, because then you see how willing the person is to participate, to discuss with other people in this difficult situation. When you talk about other means of communication like Slack and, and written forms, maybe it's too simple what I'm going to say. But if you want to test a skill, uh, bring it into the recruitment process. Mm-hmm. Get the people to do something on Slack. Design a communication process that is necessary as one of the stages of recruitment where people have to, I don't know, communicate, interact, find out some information from someone else, find a person responsible for something, uh, get a piece of knowledge, figure out who has it and do it all in a preferable uh, form of communication and see how effective they will be. It's the only thing that gives you any real kind of information about their their actual skills because if you just ask them are you good with uh online communication yeah of course i am i've been doing it yeah but if you want to see if they're really good at it or maybe i don't know i don't like this idea of checking if somebody is good at something i like the idea of observing them and seeing in which aspect they need your assistance and then as a leader you can decide okay can i give this person assistance in this area and still hire them or maybe their need of assistance is so extensive for the moment that we don't have the right resources because i think this is the point of recruitment right to see if you can meet somehow coachability and ability of people to to learn new skills is also very important like yeah if you are coachable then it's much easier to actually train them anything that should be assisted as well Mm. okay let's try to try to Talk a bit about your prediction mm. uh, in terms of the communication knowledge sharing in the nearest future, especially in the context of the things that are changing right now, which mm-hmm. obviously is artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and how companies, how people are starting using it. Like for example, wide wide range of content that is created right now is created with the support of of, of AI. Mm. Uh, I mean, content the the uh, written content, but also some videos, etc. Uh, are, are created by AI. Mm, how do you see the future of education? What will change, actually? Of course, AI will take over the world. Of course, yeah. yeah. We will be just sources of energy. Uh, to Very inefficient, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. You know, I'm I'm rather optimistic about AI. Uh, I heard yesterday, uh, I participated in a discussion that we don't really have AI yet. 
what we have now is machine learning, right? But let's let's assume it is uh, already here, but we don't know it. Mm-hmm. I'm rather optimistic about it because it brings a new kind of balance, I think, to to the table. Capitalism has uh, taught us that we can keep taking. Mm-hmm. And we take and we take and we want to take more, we want to get more. But with AI, there is this slight change that whenever you take something from it, you have to give something to it. You have to share a bit of your knowledge if you want to get accurate knowledge from AI, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a kind of exchange, interaction, which mm-hmm. which is a nice shift. Of course, there is this mm, controversy about who owns your knowledge mm-hmm. uh, after you're, you've given it away, but that's not the topic of, uh, for today's conversation, right? What I'm thinking is that AI, as a producer of knowledge, uh, will shift our attention to some aspects which I think are crucial and overlooked right now. It will shift our attention from memorizing things, memorizing facts, memorizing information, to critically judging things, facts, information. Mm -hmm. Because storing storing facts doesn't have to happen in your head, but understanding what they mean, this is a crucial skill. And, you know, so far, it's been like this, that you can always check something on Wikipedia. You don't have to remember it anymore. But now you have AI, which will look through the entire internet for you and make a summary. But it's up to you to see, is it real knowledge or is it popular convictions? Is it facts or is it myths? What does it mean? What conclusions can I draw for, uh, from it? How does it correspond with everything else that I've known so far? So I think it shifts our attention to things which only people can do. Critical judgment, uh, emotional judgment, uh, interaction, uh, flow of information, cognitive loops, how the information evolves when I send it to you and then you resend it back to me. So I'm optimistic about it because I think it, it can actually paradoxically make us more human. Yeah, that is also like from the few conversations that we already had about AI, not only here, but in our studio as well. I also... I'm very optimistic in the sense for the same reason that, you know, that I see the potential that AI will free a lot of our time and energy that we are wasting on things that could be done by AI. Yeah. And thanks to that, we will be able to focus more and more on people, on the other, on other human beings. We will start noticing other people mm-hmm. because, you know, even like the content that we are considering, like we will see, okay, it's AI generated. So yeah. we'll start looking for content generated by people. We yes. start looking for interaction with yes. people, with that real people. And, yeah. and that may make us more human, as, as you yeah. said. Yeah. yeah. And I think we are now delighted with what AI produces because it's so quick, so simple yeah. and so effective, right? When it writes our marketing content, it's perfectly written. But when you generate three, five, 10, 30 uh, content pieces with AI, you begin to see one thing that they are generated, but they are also generic. Mm-hmm. That they are all built in a similar way and you become bored. And you think, okay, what can I add to it? How can I humanize it? You know, you, you have music experience, so I think you will know what I'm talking about. But at first there was this big invention, you can produce drums uh, on a computer. And they're perfectly in line, they're perfectly even, each beat is exactly where it should be. 
After a couple of years, they introduced the function called humanize. So move this beat a little bit forward and that beat a little bit back because this is what makes it interesting. Perfection is super boring. Yeah, like for example, try to listen uh, shopping concert. Okay, this is like the same song that is played by multiple artists. Yes. And there is like a jury and there is like a crowd that, that, that they are, you know, judging which art artists perform it better yes uh, it's not mechanical it's just about emotion about things that that people are adding to the yeah. uh, to the notes that are there so yeah that's 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 a great great example okay you already started talking about music so let, okay. let's try to wrap up the things that we that we talked about uh, before and came back to to you and your work your your passion your music so if our listeners listeners or, or uh, watchers uh, viewers would, would like to find your music somehow and, and listen to your music, to your art uh, or also to your podcast. So please tell us where to find you in the internet. Uh, you can find me on most um, podcast platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And my music is also there. So Spotify, Deezer, Tidal, wherever you want to listen to it. And also feel invited to my YouTube channel, uh, on my YouTube channel, you will not uh, listen to my podcast, but you will see uh, my music videos, which which is work in progress because I'm planning to release 12 of them. Mm -hmm. The third one will be there in October and then every month there should be another one if I succeed uh, with the plan. My channels are easy to find when you just type Patricia Obara into the search uh, field. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure to have you here. It was a great conversation. It was great communication and knowledge exchange that we, that we made today. I Thank hope that, that people who, who are watching it, listening it, uh, also, also feel it that way. So once again, thank you very much. I wish you luck on your, on your presentation today. Yeah. I hope I will be there and, and to see the entire story of the knowledge sharing in the working environment. Thank you very much. Pragmatic Talks is delivered to you by Pragmatic Colors, the first choice software development partners for startup founders. Be sure to catch all new episodes, subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify or Apple podcast channels. And if you are thinking about building your own startup or struggling with product development, contact us and find out what we can do together.